You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Bhutan on the Calvary Brighton Podcast. Now, as we look at this passage, we, we need to keep the context in mind. And remember, back in chapter 8, we saw that Paul was talking about giving up certain, certain liberties, certain freedoms that you have as a Christian. You know, there, there are some things that maybe one Christian has the freedom to do, and they can do it with a clean conscience. But then again, another Christian may not be able to do that thing uh, and, and, and still have a clean conscience. And so there are some who, who, who you know, have to give up their freedoms, give up their liberties for the sake of someone else. Now, in the context of chapter 8, what they were talking about was, was giving up your freedom to eat the meat that was sacrificed to an idol. Not so much a struggle in our day, right? Uh, but, but maybe in our day, as we've said before, maybe, maybe it was, you know, casual drinking. You know, the freedom to have an occasional drink every now and then. But, but maybe you give up your freedom to have that drink for the sake of someone else who came from an, a background of, of alcoholism and addiction, And so because you don't want to trip them up, you don't want to stumble them, you chose to give up your freedom to have that drink. Now that was chapter 8. But then at the beginning of chapter 9, a couple weeks ago, we saw that then Paul was was using himself as an example of of what it looks like to give up your right, to give up your freedom to do something. And so in chapter 9, Paul talked about how he, he gave up his right to get married in order to reach them. And then he also talked about his right to, to, to receive a paycheck, to receive a salary from the church in order to reach the Corinthians. And so now it's in that context, in the context of, of giving up certain rights, giving up certain freedoms, that, that Paul now says in chapter 9 that he's become all things to all people so that he might save some. And so Paul's saying that, that he's willing to do anything, he's willing to sacrifice anything in order to win people for Christ. So we think about it, Paul was a Jew who was called to reach the Gentiles, called to preach the gospel to non-Jewish people. So now to do that, Paul, Paul gave up uh, his, his Jewish sensitivities. He, he gave up his, his Jewish cultural preferences. He gave up you know, his, his food preferences in order to reach a people group who were culturally different than he was. Now when you think about it, Paul had a, had a very eclectic background, right? a very, very unique background. I mean, the Bible tells us that, first of all, he was born in the Greek city of Tarsus, which, which by the way, that, that was the center of Greek education. So this tells us that, that Paul would have been educated in, in the Greek language. He would have learned the Greek culture. He would have learned Greek philosophy. But then, after he was bar mitzvah, after his bar mitzvah, then his father sent him to Jerusalem to study under the, the famous rabbi Gamaliel so that Paul could become a Pharisee one day. Now, not only did Paul become a Pharisee, but we know that he also became a member of the Sanhedrin, which was basically the Jewish Supreme Court. Uh, he, he called himself a Hebrew of Hebrews, which meant that he was, he was one of the, the, the Sanhedrin. Now, along with that, the Bible also tells us that Paul was born with Roman citizenship. So he had a very eclectic background, and his background was what gave him the ability to become all things to all people. And we see this in the book of Acts. You know, for example, Paul in in Acts chapter 17, he comes to the Greek city of Athens. But when he comes into Athens, he sees all these idols. He sees a statue to this God and a statue to that God and a statue to this God. Now, rather than getting angry at all the idolatry and shouting at at all the idolatry of Athens and and getting upset about it, instead what happens? Well, Paul saw a statue uh, to the quote-unquote unknown God, the unknown God. You know, it's like, it's like you know, they, they, they worshiped every god under the sun, but just in case they left one out, they didn't want to offend anybody's gods. So just in case they left one out, they even made a statue to the unknown god. 
So now Paul, he, he stands up and says, listen, that's the God I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about the God that you don't know, and I want to introduce him to you. I want to introduce you to the true and living God so you can have a personal relationship with him. And so Paul, you know, because he was trained in all things Greek, he, he, he knew the Greek language, he knew the Greek culture, he knew the Greek philosophy, he was able to reach them where they were. He was able to reach the Greeks as a Greek. But then again in the book of Acts, we, we see that, that whenever Paul came into a new city, what was the very first thing that he did? The very first thing he would always do was first go to the Jewish synagogue, reach the Jewish people. So as, as, a, as, as a former rabbi, being trained as a rabbi, that meant that, that he would be able to go into any synagogue and they would allow him to stand up and to teach. So he'd go into the synagogue, he would teach the scriptures, and then he would proclaim Jesus to them. And so he was able to reach the Jews as a Jew. And so with that, Paul basically is saying, you know what? On the one hand, as, as a Christian, you know, I know that, that, that as a Christian, I'm allowed to eat a non-kosher diet, a non-Jewish kosher diet. In other words, I'm allowed to, to eat things like pork chops, pork green chili, bacon. I said bacon and somebody's stomach just went, mmm, bacon. You know, but he, he's able to, to, to eat these things. And, 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 and yet what he's saying is, you know, when, when, when I want to reach the Jewish people, however, I give up my freedom, I give up my right to eat bacon so I could win the soul of the Jew. I've become all things to all people that I might save some. Now on that note, it's interesting that Paul starts off in verse 19 by saying, though I'm free from all, I've made myself a servant to all. Now some of your translations will say slave to all. And so it's a paradox. On the one hand, he's saying that he's free, but on the other hand, he's saying that he's willingly made himself a servant. He's made himself a slave. Now, that word slave or servant comes from the Greek term doulou or, or doulos. Now, doulos speaks of a specific category of slaves. Now, remember, in those ancient days in the Roman Empire, more than 60 million people in the population were slaves. Like, like more than 60 million people were slaves in the Roman Empire. So they would have understood this concept. Now, in that day, how it worked was, was that if you were a slave, by law, you could be a slave no, no longer than seven years. Now, typically speaking, uh, the reason people became slaves in that culture was because of debt. They owed so much debt, the only way they could pay off that debt was to sell themselves into slavery to pay it off. But there was a law to protect them. There was a law that said, you know what? After seven years, you need to set them free. Whether the debt's been paid or not, you set them free and you cancel the debt. You wipe it clean. However, the slave, if they chose to, the, the slave could voluntarily choose to continue working for that person, working as a slave. He could make himself a quote-unquote bond slave, a bond servant, where, where he was choosing out of love to give up his freedom to serve this man for the rest of his life as his slave. So what would happen in that case is the slave master would take the slave over to the doorpost. He would take an awl, kind of like a nail, and then, and then drive it through his ear. Now, he wouldn't leave the poor guy like nailed to the doorpost. They would take it out. But, but the idea is that that nail mark was, was, the, was the marker to everyone, the sign to everyone that this was a man who willingly gave up his freedom and chose to serve instead. He, he willingly gave up his freedom. And so that's, what, that's how the apostle Paul viewed himself. Over and over again in, 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 in Paul's writings, he identifies himself as, as the bond servant of Christ. 
Not only, not only does he view himself as the bondservant of Christ, but he also viewed himself as the bondservant of all people. That's what he just said in verse 19. He says, for though I'm free from all, I've made myself a servant, a bondservant to all. He, he willingly gave up his freedom. So the context of this passage this morning is, is the context of giving up your freedom, your freedom to do this or your freedom to do that, and you're giving it up for the sake of someone else so that you can win them for Christ. You're, you're giving up your freedoms so that you can be all things to all people that you might win some. In fact, on that note, as we pick it up now in verse 24, we see that it's all about winning. That is, it's about soul winning. Verse 24, he says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Now, one of the things I love about the Apostle Paul was that he was a sports fan. I think that if he was, you know, alive in our culture, he'd probably join me in listening to sports talk radio, you know, maybe watching the game afterwards. He was a sportsman. We know it because over and over again, Paul is always using sport analogies. Now, in this case, he's using the analogy of a marathon, a marathon runner. Now, by the way, in that day, as far as the Greeks go, there were two major Greek athletic events. Number one would have been the Olympic Games, hosted in Athens every four years. In fact, uh, we still celebrate the Olympic Games to this day, right? But then number two, second to the Olympics, was, no, was something known as the Isminian Games that was hosted every two years in the city of Corinth. So what we're saying is that this was an analogy that the Corinthians could relate with. Now, uh, by the way, the athletes competing in these games, uh, they, they were required to train for 10 months. But then the last final month of their training, they were required to perform that last month of training in the city of Corinth in the eyes of the judges, before the eyes of the judges. So it was very common for, for, for the citizens of, of, of Corinth to see these athletes running up and down the streets training, you know, and, and preparing for these games. I mean, it'd be kind of like living down in Colorado Springs, you know, near, near the, the Olympic training facility there. You know, it's very common certain times of the year that you'll see athletes running up and down the streets in the springs, training for their events, training for the games. And so that's what it was like living in Corinth. And so, and so the idea is, is they're not just running to run. They're not just running to get in shape. No, they were running to win. They were training day in and day out, day and night with one goal in mind, and that was to win. And so now Paul is, is taking this, this athletic picture, but, but, he's, but he's applying it spiritually. He's making a spiritual point when he says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives a prize? So run that you may obtain it. That word run, treco, it's translated run, but, but it literally means run the race to win. Run the race to win. You're not just running aimlessly, you're running with a purpose. You're running to win. But again, the context here, Paul's context is, is that Paul was talking about winning the lost. Paul's talking about winning you know, uh, souls. He's talking about winning people. And so on the heels of, of Paul just saying, you know, to the Jew, I became like a Jew to win the Jew. To the Greek, I became like a Greek to win the Greek. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I've become all things to all people that I might save or win some. Now on the heels of that, now he says, run to win. But to win what? To, to win a trophy? To, to, to win a title? To, to win a little blue ribbon? No, to win souls. Proverbs 11.30 says, he who wins souls is wise. Yeah, I read this week 
about the World Triathlon Series Grand Final uh, that took place back in 2016 in, in, in Cozumel, Mexico. And in particular, I read about one athlete named jo- Johnny Brownlee. As the story goes, uh, he, he had competed already in the, in the swimming event and in the, and in the bike event, and now he's, he's running the marathon. And he's in the final kilometer, he's in the lead, he's about to win, when all of a sudden the heat got the best of him, and, and suddenly his body started to shut down. And, and now all of a sudden his will to finish the race was overcome by, by paralyzing pain and muscle cramps. He couldn't go anymore. And so suddenly when it seemed like, like all hope of continuing was lost, suddenly his, his brother Alistair, who was also competing in the same race, came up from behind him. And, and Alistair sacrificed his own opportunity to win that race when he grabbed his brother Johnny, picked him up for the final few meters and, and helped him to continue. Now, another runner had passed both of them, but nevertheless, Johnny and Alistair, they just kept going. They refused to give up. They kept going, and they kept going, and at the last second, Alistair threw his younger brother, Johnny, across the finish line so that Johnny could win second place. You see, this is what we're talking about. You're not running to win for yourself. No, you're running to win souls. You're running to win someone else for the sake of the kingdom. And so that word, treco, to run, run to win, it can also be translated run swiftly. Run swiftly. That's how it's rendered in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1, where the Apostle Paul says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly. And so it carries a sense of urgency. It carries with it the idea that you know the time is short and you're going to make the most of the time you have. And the idea is is that when it comes to evangelism, there's basically two kinds of Christians. Number one, there are those who are running swiftly, those who have a a sense of urgency, those who know that the times are short. They know that Jesus could come back at any moment. They don't have much time left, and so they're going to win as many as they possibly can for the Lord in the time that they have. They're running swiftly. But then number two, there are those who are running aimlessly. They don't even know where they're running or why they're running or what they're running from or what they're running to. So Paul's saying, you know, I'm not running aimlessly. I'm running to win. I'm running swiftly. I'm running with a purpose. But I'm not running just aimlessly. In fact, he touches on that in the next section. Because in verses 25 and 26, he now makes the point that, that if you want to reach all people, then you have to be willing to give up all things. If you want to reach all people, you have to be willing to give up all things. Verse 25, It says, every athlete exercises self-control in all things, and they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. So Paul says that that every athlete exercises self-control in all things. That phrase, exercises self-control, it's a Greek term that sometimes is translated temperate, but it really is better translated to abstain from something. You're choosing to abstain from, from certain things. And, and really, it paints the picture of an athlete who, who, who's abstaining from, from different activities. They're, they're abstaining from alcohol. They're abstaining from, from junk food. They're abstaining from sexual activity while they're training. Why? Well, they're giving up all those things for the hope of winning, for the hope of being crowned as the winner. Kind of reminds us of the wrestlers back in high school. Anybody remember the wrestlers back in high school? Remember how they were always cutting weight, trying to make weight? I mean, the, the sacrifices they would make to try to make weight? I mean, these guys are wearing like, like three pairs of sweatsuits, and, and, and on top of that, like a trash bag. You know, and they're starving themselves. They're running all the time. They're, and, and, and they're going through all this. Why? For the hope of competing, for, for the hope of winning. 
And that's the picture here of these, of these athletes. They're, they're abstaining from this and they're giving up that and they're, and, they're, and they're laying aside this for the hope of winning. Paul says they do it for, for a perishable wreath. Some translations say a per- perishable crown. But he says we do it for an imperishable. Now here's the picture. The picture is that at the end of the race, you've won. Maybe you've come in first place, maybe you came in second place, maybe you came in third place, but at the end, you now stand before the judges. And you stand on this platform that was called the Bema seat. Now, the Bema seat could be translated judgment seat, but, but you weren't being judged, you weren't being punished, rather you were being rewarded. This is where they would crown you as the victor of the race. They'd put a laurel wreath on your head for, for coming in first place or coming in second place or coming in third place. And so you weren't being punished, you were being rewarded. Now, by the way, it's on that note that, that later on in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 20, we read that, that as Christians, one day we all as Christians are gonna stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But that word judgment seat in Revelation chapter 20, it's the same word, bema seat. You see, as Christians, it's not saying that we're gonna be punished we're going to be judged by Jesus. It's saying that one day we're going to stand before him and, and, and be rewarded by Jesus. We're going to be rewarded for, 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 for our faithfulness. We're going to be rewarded for, 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 for serving. And we're going to be rewarded for, for, for reaching out and winning souls. But there's going to come a day where we're going to hear the king of kings say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. And it happens at that Bema seat where the victor receives the crown. But don't worry, later on it says we all lay our crowns before his feet. We, we, we crown him the king of kings. And so this is what Paul's saying. He's saying, you know what? That's what I've been training for. He's saying, you know what? I, I, I've been looking forward to that day where one day I'm gonna stand before Jesus, the king of kings, and I'm gonna hear him say, well done, good and faithful. And so that's why I, I, I give up you know, my, my right to do this or my freedom to do that or my, my, my right to do this. I'm, I'm, I'm giving up those things because I'm trying to win this race, this race to win souls because I understand that the only thing I can take to heaven with me are other people. So I'm trying to take as many with me to heaven as I can while I can. And so if you wanna reach all people, you have to be willing to give up all things. But now in verse 27, Now Paul challenges us to do whatever it takes to be all things to all people. Verse 27, Paul says, But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And so in effect, Paul's saying, you know what? In this race to win souls, in this race to win the lost, in this race to win the weak, he's saying, you know what? Just like any athlete who, 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 who's, who's training for an event, you know, any athlete who, who goes into a strict training regime and, 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 and a strict diet where they give up junk food and they give up alcohol and they give up this and they, and they give up that, and they're giving up all those things for the hope of winning the race, He's saying, you know what? In the same way, in the hope of winning souls, I'm willing to give up this freedom and that freedom. You know, maybe the freedom to eat this or the freedom to drink that or, or like Paul said in chapter nine, the right to, to get married one day or, or the right to receive a paycheck from, from the church that he was ministering to. He says he's giving up those rights, those freedoms for the sake of winning lost souls. But then it's interesting, at the end of verse uh, 27, he says, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now it's interesting. In these Greek games, whether it was the Olympic Games or the Asminian Games, you could be disqualified. However, before you can get disqualified, you first had to qualify. 
Now, uh, to qualify for these games, it was more than just your athletic talent. It was more than just the time that you ran the, the 800. It was more than just the time that you did the 40. It was, it, was, it was more than just your physical skills, but in addition to that, to be qualified to run in these events, to compete in these games, you had to be a Greek citizen. Only Greek citizens were qualified to compete. But you could also be disqualified. Now, uh, I mentioned earlier that, that you know, uh, one of the ways, that, that the easiest way to be disqualified in those days was for not tr- taking your training seriously. So as I mentioned a moment ago, uh, you, you were required to, to have 10 months of strict training, uh, a strict training regimen, but then that last final month of training, you were required to do that last month of training in, uh, in the city of Corinth, in, in, before the eyes of the judges where the judges could, could keep a close eye on everything you do. They could watch your diet. They could watch your training. They, they could watch your personal life. So they could literally disqualify you because you did not take your training seriously. I mean, one little sip of wine and you were out. But listen to this. When you got disqualified, you weren't just qualified, uh, disqualified just from an event. Typically, you were banned for life. You could never compete again. So one little sip of wine and you were done for life. You know, one little Twinkie here or there, you were disqualified for the rest of your life. One little cheat day and you were done forever. You didn't lose your Greek citizenship, but you did lose your right to compete in the games for the rest of your life. Now again, Paul's taking an athletic picture, but he's making a spiritual point. And the point is simply this. The point is that, yeah, you may never lose your citizenship into heaven. You may always, as a Christian, be a citizen, a citizen of heaven. But what you might lose is your ability to compete in the game of winning souls. To compete in the game of being a soul winner. I think one example of, uh, of someone who, who, who was disqualified from being a soul winner, competing for, for lost souls, uh, would be a, a fellow Calvary Chapel pastor from, from years ago. Unfortunately, uh, there was this well-known Calvary Chapel pastor uh, down in the Florida, Florida area. His name was Bob Coy. In fact, he pastored one of the largest churches in America at that time. Uh, it, was, it was called Calvary Chapel Fort Lauderdale. Now listen, their church staff, the employees on their staff, they had more employees working at that church than we have in our congregation. They had 700 employees working at that church. It was a church of multiple thousands upon thousands upon thousands. One of the largest churches in, in, in America. And so Bob Coy was a man who, who had preached the gospel and literally led thousands to faith in Christ. But then one day, it all came tumbling down because one day it was discovered that he had been having an affair. Now, there were other allegations uh, that, that I don't know were ever proven, uh, but the point of those allegations was, was that it showed that, that this wasn't just a one-time event. It was a multiple-time event. And, and, and so all of a sudden, overnight, his, his marriage was in shambles. Overnight, he was disqualified from the ministry. And, and, and all of a sudden, his church was on the verge of collapse. And I'm happy to say decades later, uh, that church, Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, is healthy. They're thriving. They've got new leadership. And God's been blessing that, that leadership and blessing that church. But at the time, decades ago, suddenly, overnight, there were like hundreds, if not even thousands, who had been saved under the ministry there at that church, and now all of a sudden, they were doubting and questioning their own salvation. They were like, well, if this guy fell, if this is the guy who led me to faith, am I even saved in the first place? Is my salvation real? No, so when it comes to, to, to Bob Coy's salvation, whether or not he's going to go to heaven, I, I, I can't answer that. 
But what I do know is this, when it comes to soul winning, when it comes to winning the lost, he was disqualified. Because when you think about it, from this point on, no one is ever going to believe a thing he has to say about how to get saved from this point on. Because of his multiple failures, because of what has happened, he, he, he disqualified himself. No one's ever going to believe what he has to say from this point on. Now, I think uh, uh, perhaps another example of, of being disqualified is, is more in the context of the passage we're looking at. Remember, back in chapter 8, they're talking about giving up meat sacrificed to an idol. And in our culture, maybe it has to, you know, something like, like, like alcohol. You know, so maybe you've got the, 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 the right, you've got the freedom to have an occasional drink every now and then. But then again, maybe you're, you, you've been trying to reach somebody who, who's, who's an alcoholic. And so you've been, you've been inviting them to church. You've been trying to share the gospel with them. And, and maybe one day they do come to church with you and they hear the gospel. But then when they look at your example of, of continuing to have a drink here and there, maybe your example kind of causes them to stay in their lifestyle of addiction. You, maybe your example kind of causes them to, to stay in their lifestyle of alcoholism rather than turning to Jesus to set them free from that lifestyle of addiction. And so in a sense, you kind of disqualified yourself because you loved your freedom more than you loved their soul you failed to reach their soul for Christ. Your example hindered them. Now, I mentioned a moment ago that, that this verse, 1 Corinthians 9.22, is, is my life verse, and here's why. You know, you know, the Apostle Paul had this eclectic background, right? You know, and, and because of his different background here and there, he was able to reach different people from different cultures. He was able to reach the Jews. He was able to reach the Greeks. He's able to reach the Romans. And so in the same way, years ago, God used this verse to, to tell me that was his plan, his call for my life, to be all things to all people. And all started with my childhood. And a lot of you know my, my childhood. And, and listen, during my entire childhood, I, I always asked the same questions over and over again. You know, the questions were, why me? Well, why was I born? Why am I here? My own mother doesn't want me, so why am I here? And yet, I discovered that ultimately God had a purpose for my life. And I discovered that God was able to take my dysfunctional background and use it for his glory. He's able to use me to be all things to all people. You know, so for example, because I was raised in a broken home, I'm able to relate with those who also come from broken homes. You know, I remember uh, my, my parents split up when I was three years old. And in fact, I, I remember it vividly. It was the day that I turned three years old on my third birthday, my, my mom and, and dad are in the kitchen. She made a cake. They get into this horrific argument. She throws my birthday cake at him and he walks out the door never to return. That is the last image that I have of my father. And I also know, you know, the, 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 the pain and the frustration of those that are, that are in the foster care system, seeing that I grew up in 20 different foster homes or, or those who feel worthless, like they have no value. Listen, I can relate. Because all of my life, all I've ever heard is you are worthless. You are good for nothing. You're a complete failure. In fact, I've been told by counselor after counselor, social worker after social worker, that, that, that I was doomed to repeat the failure of my mother and of her, her, her abusive boyfriends. That I was going to grow up to be just like them. And for those who were hopeless and suicidal, I knew what that feels like. Because before I came to the Lord, I was a hopeless, suicidal, teenage runaway. But then unfortunately, you know, for those who have hurt people, unfortunately I can relate because I have hurt people. I have physically hurt people. I have stolen from people. I've lied to people. I, I've, I've been in jail two or three different times. But here's what I've discovered. I've discovered that, 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 
that God may not be the author of my past, but he is the redeemer of my past. And you know what? I'm here to tell you that he's the redeemer of your past. Listen, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what's been done to you. He's the redeemer of your past. Philip Brooks once said, the only way to get rid of your past is to make a future out of it. God will waste nothing. So what do we do with our past? Well, we do what the Apostle Paul said in, in Philippians chapter 3, 13. He said, he said, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Listen, our past should be a launching pad for our future. Or like one meme uh, put it on, online, it said, God doesn't waste anything. You're not defined by your past. You are prepared by your past. And so listen, I'm here to tell you that God saved you from your past. He's redeemed your past, which means that he can use you to reach others whose current way of life is, is a lot like your past way of life. And so on that note, I want to challenge you to do whatever it takes to give up whatever you need to give up, sacrifice anything and everything you can to be all things to all people for the hope that you might save some. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Calvary Brighton podcast. To find out more about our ministry in Brighton, Colorado, go to calvarychapelbrighton.com.